several moments before his head cleared enough so that he could think what he must do. Call help, that was certain. And get away from here, and from that abomination lying on the ground. He straightened up, made for the gate, and closed it hard behind him, glad for the slicing wind from the east, even though it carried the raw iciness of the sea with it. Murder was hardly rare in the teeming slums of London in this year of our Lord, 1887, but this was an act of bestiality unlike anything he had seen before. He must find another man to stand guard. Then he could report in and get his superiors to take charge. Thank heaven he wasn't senior enough to have to sort out this one. Two hours later, Inspector Thomas Pitt, holding a lamp, closed the slaughterhouse gate and stood in the yard. He stared down at the corpse, still lying exactly as the constable had found it. In the grey morning light, it looked grotesque. Pitt bent down and lifted the shoulder of the corpse to see if there was anything under it, a weapon perhaps, or further injury. This dismemberment by itself wouldn't account for his death, and surely a man so appallingly violated would have made some attempt to protect himself, to staunch the fountain of blood. The thought was sickening and he forced it out of his mind. He ignored the cold sweat running on his skin, soaking his shirt. He looked down the body. There was no blood on the dead man's hands, none at all. Even the nails were clean, which was extraordinary for anyone who frequented an area like this, let alone slept in a slaughterhouse yard. Searching further, he found a wide, dark stain under the man, matting the cloth of his jacket. It was near the spine, straight through the ribs to the heart. He held the lamp higher for a closer look, but there was no blood anywhere else on the stones. He let out his breath and stood up, unconsciously wiping his hands on the legs of his trousers. Now he could look at the face. It was a heavy-jowled, broad-nosed face. The skin was faintly plum-coloured, the mouth marked with lines of humour, the eyes small and round, the face of a man who enjoyed good living. The body was portly and of barely average height. The hands were strong, plump, and immaculately clean. The hair was grey-brown. The clothes were made of thick brown wool, baggy in places from wear, and wrinkled over the stomach. There were a few crumbs caught in the folds of the waistcoat. Pitt picked one up, crushed it experimentally in his fingers, and sniffed it. Cheese! Stilton, if he wasn't mistaken, or something like it. Inhabitants of the Devil's Acre did not dine on Stilton. There was a noise behind him, a scuffle of feet. He turned to see who it was, glad of company. Morning, Pitt. What have you got this time? It was Meadows, the police surgeon, a man capable of insufferable good cheer at the most inopportune times. But instead of seeming offensive... His voice this time was like a sweet breath of sanity in a terrible nightmare. Oh, my good God! He stood beside Pitt and stared down. Poor fellow! He was stabbed in the back, Pitt said quickly. Indeed! Meadows cocked an eyebrow and looked at Pitt sidewise. Well, I suppose that's something. He squatted down, balanced his bull's-eye lamp at precisely the right angle, and began to examine the body with care. Don't need to watch, he remarked without turning his head. I'll tell you if there's anything interesting. For a start, this mutilation is a pretty rough job. Just took a sharp knife and sliced. 
And there you are. No skill, Pitt asked quietly as he stared over Meadows' head at the dawn's light reflected in the slaughterhouse windows. None at all, just... Meadows sighed. Just the most god-awful hate. Insane. Meadows pulled a face. Who knows? Catch him, and then I'll tell you. Maybe. Anyway, who is this poor devil? Do you know yet? Pitt hadn't even thought of searching the body. It was the first thing he should have done. Without answering, he bent down and began going through the man's pockets. He found everything he would have expected, except money, and perhaps he hadn't really expected that. There was a gold watch, very scratched but still working, and a key ring with four keys on it. One of the keys appeared to be a safe key, two were door keys, and one was for a cupboard or drawer, judging by its size, just what any middle-aged, moderately prosperous man might have. There were two handkerchiefs, both grubby, but of good Egyptian cotton with finely rolled hems. There were three receipted bills, two for quite ordinary household expenses, the third for a dozen bottles of a highly expensive burgundy. Apparently a man of self-indulgence, at least as far as the table was concerned. But what mattered was that his name and address were on the bills. Dr. Hubert Pynchon, 23 Lambert Gardens, a long way from the Devil's Acre, in social standing and in every other aspect of the quality of life, if not so very far as the London sparrow flies. What was Dr. Pynchon doing here in this slaughterhouse yard, appallingly murdered and maimed? Well, Meadows asked. Pitt repeated the name and address. Meadows' face creased into comic surprise. How very unlikely, he observed. By the way, he was probably unconscious and damn near dead by the time they did this to him. He gestured toward the lower part of the body. If that's any comfort. I suppose you know about the other one. Other one? What are you talking about? Other what? Meadows' face tightened. Other corpse man! The other one we found castrated like this. Don't say you didn't know about it. Pitt was stunned. How could he have failed to hear of such a monstrosity? Some gambler or pimp, Meadows went on. Other side of the acre, not your station. But as I said, he was emasculated too, poor sod, though not as badly as this one. It looks as if we've got some kind of maniac loose. Managed to keep the papers from making too much of the first one. Victim was the sort of man that's always getting knifed. They do in an occupation of that kind. He stood up slowly, his knees cracking. But this one's different. He'd seen better times, perhaps, but he still ate well. And I'd say at a guess that his shabbiness might be more of an eccentricity than a lack of means. His suit is pretty worn, but his linen is new and reasonably clean. Not had it on more than a day by the look of it. Pitt thought of the Stilton cheese and the immaculate fingernails. Yes, he said flatly. He knew Meadows was staring at him, waiting. All right. I suppose if you've finished here, we'd better have him taken away. Do a proper autopsy and tell me anything else, if there is anything. Naturally. Now came the worst part. Once again, 
Pitt mentally debated whether he could delegate the task of informing the family, the widow, if there was one. And, as always, he couldn't escape the conviction that he must do it himself. If he did not, he would feel he had betrayed both the junior he sent and the bereaved he might have comforted. He gave all the necessary orders to the men waiting outside. The body must be removed, the yard sealed off, and searched for anything at all that might render a clue as to who had done this thing. A search must be initiated for vagrants who had been in the area, for lodgers who might have been returning home, for idle prostitutes, for someone who might have seen something. Meanwhile, he would go to number 23 Lambert Gardens and inform the household, at this hour probably just sitting down to breakfast, that their master had been murdered. Pitt was met at the door by an extremely competent butler. Good morning, sir, the man said politely. Pitt was a stranger to him, and it was too early for a social call. Good morning, Pitt answered quietly. I'm from the police. Is this the residence of Dr. Hubert Pynchon? Yes, sir, but I'm afraid Dr. Pynchon is not at home at the moment. I can recommend another doctor to you if your need is urgent. I don't require a doctor. I'm sorry, I have bad news for you. Dr. Pynchon is dead. Oh, dear. The butler's face tightened, but his composure remained perfect. He moved back a step, allowing Pitt to enter. You'd better come in, sir. Would you be good enough to tell me what happened? It might be easier if I were to break the news to Mrs. Pynchon. I am sure you would be most tactful, but... He delicately left the obvious in the air. Yes, Pitt said, with a relief that struck a spark of guilt in him. Yes, of course. How did it happen, sir? He was attacked, stabbed in the back. I think he probably knew very little pain. I'm sorry. The butler stared at him in a moment of immobility. Then he swallowed. Murdered? Yes. I'm sorry, Pip repeated. Is there someone who can identify the body? Perhaps someone other than Mrs. Pynchon? It will be distressing. Should he mention the mutilation now? The butler had regained his self-possession. He was in command of himself and of the household. Yes, sir. I will inform Mrs. Pynchon of Dr. Pynchon's death. She has an excellent maid who will care for her. There is another doctor in the neighborhood who will attend her. The footman, Peters, has been with us for twelve years. He will go and identify the body. He hesitated. I suppose there is no doubt... Dr. Pynchon was a little less than my height, sir. Very well built, clean-shaven, and of a rich complexion. He let the vague hope hang in the air, but it was pointless. Yes, Pitt answered. Did Dr. Pynchon have a suit of rough brown tweed, I should judge of some year's wear? Yes, sir. That's what he was wearing when he left home yesterday. And I'm afraid there can be little doubt but perhaps your footman should make sure before you say anything to Mrs. Pynchon. Yes, sir, naturally. Pitt gave him the address of the mortuary, and then advised him of the nature of the other wounds, and that the newspapers would inevitably make much of it. 
It would be a kindness to keep the reporters out of the house for as long as possible until some other event superseded the murder in the public eye. Pitt left without meeting the widow at all. She hadn't risen from her bed, and only in his imagination did he see her shock, followed by disbelief, slow acceptance, and finally the beginning of overwhelming pain. He must, of course, go to see the officer dealing with the other murder that appeared to be so similar. The two crimes may or may not be connected, but to ignore the possibility would be absurd. Perhaps he would even find himself relieved of the case. He wouldn't mind in the least. He felt no sense of proprietorship, as he had in some cases. Whoever had committed this crime had entered a realm far outside the ordinary world of offence and punishment. As he trod on against the squally wind fluttering rubbish off the pavements, he reflected that he wouldn't mind in the least if they took this one away from him. He crossed the road just before a handsome cab clopped past. A boy who was sweeping a clear path from the horse droppings stopped and rested on his broom. His small hands were chapped red, and his fingers jutted out of the ends of his gloves. A brougham swished by and splattered them both with a mixture of mud and manure. The boy grinned to see Pitt's irritation. "'Ought to have walked on me path, mister,' he said cheerfully. "'Then you'd not get yourself mucked.' Pitt handed him a farthing and agreed with him wryly. At the police station he was greeted with an unexpected warmth. "'Inspector Pitt? Yes, sir. I suppose as you've come about our murder, sir. It being the same as your one this morning, like.' Pitt was taken aback. How did this young constable know about Hubert Pynchon? His face must have reflected his thoughts, as it often did, because the constable answered the question before Pitt asked it. He's in the afternoon extra, sir. Screaming about it, they are. Downright horrible. Of course, I know they write up things something chronic, adding bits to shock people into hysterics, but all the same... I doubt they added anything to this one, Pitt replied dryly. He unwound his muffler and took off his hat. His coat flapped loose, one side longer than the other. He must have done it up on the wrong buttons again. May I speak to whoever is in charge of your murder, if he is in? Yes, sir. That will be Inspector Parkins. I reckon as he'll be real glad to see you. Pitt doubted it, but he followed the constable willingly enough into a warm, dark office that smelled of old paper and wax polish. It was larger than his own, and there was a photograph of a woman